introverted noise. Hurry up, Daddy. And welcome back to another episode of the Pocket Protectors Podcast. I am your host, Jason Brown. You can find me on Twitter at BrownJason. And I'm back with two of the smartest people on all of the internet. And we're going to talk about some things. We're going to talk about some football, talk about some other things. And let's jump right into it. My man, Dr. Eric Eager, prolific uh, XFL gambler. How you doing, my man? How you been? I would say I, I tweeted this out on Wednesday and I figured it was a little hyperbolic, but I said the XFL lasting three weeks less than the AF would, is a bad beat uh, <laughs> given how well the XFL was run. Um, crazy thing was, is I think so in AF and XFL, I won almost the exact amount of money, like to the $10. Oh, difference. wow. So uh, it was a it was a night last week was an absolute killer week. So the fact that my my best week in XFL uh, precluded its 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 ultimate like suspension uh, maybe is just the gambling god's way of telling me to stop being such a degenerate. I don't know. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> you shut it down now. Like what do you? I guess now you're gonna have to gamble. Like what sports are still going? Like UFC and dude, know. I just I just bet on an over in some like Uruguayan basketball game i mean i don't know man. <laughs> like, it's, it's it's uh I, you know and I, I'm, I'm not betting nearly as much as other stuff but like man it, it is rough at this point yeah the struggle um, is real and i mean, uh, I, I normally I, i'll now it's just like watching a ton of old movies while i code and then like you know maybe some games on in the background like old games on youtube or some crap but yeah man yeah, betting the result of the next play to see if your memory's still where it used to be, something like that. <laughs> yes. All right. Oh, well, man. then, you know, we go from one end where I got my man Eric talking about, you know, gambling and all that stuff to my man over here, uh, you know, the most wholesome man on Vikings Twitter. What have you been <laughs> up to? What's, what's what's going on with you? How are you uh, keeping yourself sane now that you are also joining the ranks of us folks working from home? Oh, I'm good, you know, but now I'm working from home, two daughters, and I'm all uh i gotta figure out how i'm gonna handle all that all at once today's actually my birthday though oh, so um shit. happy birthday happy man. birthday yeah thank you thank what, you what, what yeah, wholesome yeah, activities uh, did you get timing, into for your but, birthday uh i don't know I, today was actually really busy with work for some reason so i pretty much worked all day but it's all good at least i got to work from home and i'm gonna get to work from home for the foreseeable future so bright side silver linings of this whole disaster we're in yeah well speaking of the disaster eric you um as you know, reaching back into your old background there as a uh, as professor, uh, we're able to to kind of explain to all of us in the group chat why you know COVID nineteen is different than say H one N one and why the response has been uh, what some might call so extreme when we've been you know talking about these different diseases, bird flu, swine flu, Ebola, and all these things over the you know past decade or so. 
Um, so I was hoping that because it is obviously something that's top of mind, it's changing, <laughs> drastically changing uh, what life looks like uh, all around the world right now. If you could help us maybe understand why people and why countries, why sports organizations are responding to kind of this threat in such a different way than we have for, for threats that have happened previously. Well, I think the, to, to, to the first question, I don't think they were, right? I think like the prevailing wisdom was this base rates analogy where, you know, we've seen this before. We saw it with MRSA. We saw it with SARS. We saw it with H1N1. We saw it with Ebola. Back when I was teaching at the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse in the fall of 2014, I tailored an entire lecture series in my math, in my calculus one class to Ebola and how to model spread of disease. And the crazy part back then was you used to be able to model flu by just by proxy using the number of Google searches about flu. It was almost a perfect one-to-one correspondence. Ebola broke that mathematical model because in the United States, there was a significant number of people that cared about Ebola and almost no one got it. Um, And, uh, you know, and so, you know, the interesting thing is, is we're dealing with and this is probably why sports betters on Twitter, you know, Rufus Peabody's of the world, the Ed Millers, you know, were among the first to sort of like point this out that this could be a big thing. It's because, you know, you're talking about a two or three percent chance. Right. And anybody who's bet on sports has had the two or three percent chance go against them before and sort of knows that it's not all that improbable with respect to infectious diseases, though. In our lifetime, there has not been pandemics that have affected us to this degree. And 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 so all we have to look back on is saying, well, you know, the sun's gone up every single day we've been alive. The probability the sun's going to go up tomorrow is 100 percent. And that's not really how it works. And it, and it doesn't work that way for pandemics. Um, the the difficult thing with this particular one is not only I mean, when you look at the fatality rate, it is quite high relative to flu. The estimates are about 10 times as high, but it's still only about one percent uh, conservatively, about one percent. But it's the infectiousness. It's the R0, which is basically the way that you can think about it is the contact rate divided by uh, the mortality rate. And that's, you know, estimates for that are anywhere from three to five, uh, which means that every single initial, every single time a person on the initial wave of the of the virus gets it, they give it to three to five people. And so you can imagine, you know, three to five to the N is going to grow substantially in a short amount of time. And we're just at that first initial phase. And that's why, you know, everybody's, you know, the flu is about 1.1. So 1.1 to the end doesn't grow nearly as fast. And that's, and that's sort of the difference between the two. So it's, it's not so much the mortality rate, it's the infectiousness and what, you know, and if the infection moves too quickly, you know, we might be outstripped of resources like beds and things like that for people to get it. Yeah, and so last question on this before we, we talk a bit of football. So when people are saying like flatten the curve, what, what does that actually mean? Yeah, that's a great that's a great uh, question. So it, essentially, like it sounds weird, but you know sometimes an infectious disease can be too deadly. Um, and like so, for example, measles was like this, where like people get measles and they'll clear it or die really quickly, and so the curve just looks like one big spike, right? And the and you know, what you can do sometimes is flatten the curve by by basically distancing people. So when I talked about R0 being like the the contact rate 
divided by the mortality, there's not a whole lot you can do to decrease the mortality rate. And in fact, um, increasing in mortality rates often have often ex, uh, you know flatten the flu or flatten you know the the disease because people will die too quickly before they can infect other people. If it's if it's not that deadly, then you're walking around giving it to folks if you're if you're still alive type of thing. But the one way that you can flatten it out is by distancing people from each other. And that's why we've taken all these measures to distance folks because it, it has been shown to limit the infectiousness, you know, the the contact rate. And what that does is that takes that big spike that I just talked about and it flattens it out. So maybe the same number of people get it, but they get it more slowly. Uh, and, you know, and oftentimes it's actually a little bit better than that. It's less people get it and they get it more slowly. But that's really what they mean by flattening the curve so that, you know, the first N cases don't happen in the first week. They might happen the first two weeks, in which case you can sort of clear out half of the people and, and use the resources for the other half of the people later. All right. There we go. Well, Nick, I'm going to give you a tough task here. Because, you know, Eric went and got all professorial on us there, explaining all sorts of things related to what's going on in the world. So I'm going to need you to bring us back to uh, the land of, you know, the less important stuff, but, you know, also kind of important for us if we're looking to maybe get an escape, not spend all of our time clicking through, refreshing and learning about uh, all of the things going on around the world. Uh, talk to me about draft strategy, because you said something a bit interesting earlier on in the week. Where, you know, when you ask most people what we should be doing when it comes to, you know, fixing the Vikings this offseason, everyone's going to say it starts in the trenches. We need to fix the offensive line, which is kind of what we say every offseason. And then, you know, people will say, like, our defensive tackles aren't any good, which obviously after releasing Linval today becomes even more of a glaring need. So most people, as they do their mock drafts, are penciling the Vikings in for a guard or a defensive tackle. Um and, and you're telling me that that's not really the way we should be going about it. So I guess, could you help me understand if, if these positions are so bad, uh, why shouldn't we be going after them? Why shouldn't they be the positions that we tackle early in the draft? Yeah, it's a good question. And I don't think you'll get a lot of pushback. You know, you say Shamar Stefan is, might be the worst starter on the roster. I mean, after cutting Linval, maybe it's Armin Watts or whoever you pencil in there for nose. Or after cutting Rhodes, maybe it's Holton Hill or whoever you pencil in as second cornerback opposite Holton Hill um, or opposite Mike Hughes. But in any case, you know, Shamar Stefan, one of the worst starting defensive tackles in the league. Um, and Pat Elfline, you know, as much as he was improved this year compared to last year and as good as he looked in, in the run game, I thought he had some really overall, he was a pretty good run blocker actually, but he was just one of the worst pass protecting guards in ways that were absolutely killer for the offense. And so that really sticks out and, Overall, I would say he's one of the worst guards. Both of them are like two of the worst um, at their position in the NFL. So if you if you think when you're thinking about like team needs, team weaknesses, those guys really stick out and you really think about, oh, man, think of how good this team could be if we had like, you know, a Pro Bowl guard instead of uh, Pat Elfline, like how much different would the team be? And that makes some intuitive sense. But when we really think about team needs, I think we should be thinking less about who's the worst guy in the roster that we need to replace and more who are the guys that are going to help us win games because it's not always the same people um maybe the easiest way to make this point is you know if you have like the worst left guard in the league starting for your team but you have like you know the nfl's 20th best quarterback well you know your left guard is a is a bigger problem from a roster hole standpoint but upgrading at quarterback is going to help you win a lot more games than upgrading at left guard in the same way i think 
cornerbacks help you win games a lot more than left guards do. Um, and there are easier ways to patch that hole at, at guard or on, on the interior of the offensive line. Um, same thing with wide receiver. And, and I think I got some pushback on this point. And I, I, I might have been making this point on Twitter that I really think the Vikings need another wide receiver. And it's one of their top needs. And it's kind of counterintuitive because we have Stefan Diggs. We have Adam Thielen. Outside of maybe Tampa Bay, that's probably the best receiver duo in the NFL. But the problem is, past that, we have guys who are at or below replacement level. You know, Laquan Treadwell getting hundreds of snaps. And um, Ola B.C. Johnson, who, you know, he's not a bad player, but he's just kind of a... It was, he, he, he overperformed his draft stock, but he's just kind of like a barely above replacement level type receiver. And if that guy's getting 50% of your snaps, that's... You know, you could really use an upgrade there because having a good third wide receiver can be a game changer for your offense. That's th those are third downs that you're converting that you otherwise wouldn't be. Those are yards that you're getting. Those are touchdowns you're getting that you wouldn't otherwise be, which is a little bit different in the value of replacement of a left guard where it's like, OK, maybe you're getting like one less pressure a game. And that's like at the extreme. If you look at like Shamar Stefan, it's actually interesting because so Shamar Stefan of defensive tackles who played over half their snaps, Stefan. Um, generated the fewest pressures of anybody. This includes nose tackles. He's tied with Damon Harrison, who's obviously like more of a one technique in, in Detroit, or was last year, free agent now. Um, if you just get like an average three technique, you're probably looking at, instead of, say, six pressures, which is all Shamar produced the, over the entire year, you're probably looking at like 30. So, I mean, that's an upgrade, 25 pressures. Same thing with run stops. He was actually, you know, he has this reputation, Shamar, as a, as a run stopper, but he had the second fewest run stops. So if you improve from his 11 to like league average to like 25 or something, you're getting 15 more run stops. So you can think about, okay, so if we draft, you know, in the first round, a defensive tackle who goes on to have like an average year, uh, you know, you're getting a lot more pressures, you're getting a lot more run stops. But if you're getting a wide receiver or a cornerback, you're upgrading there. Well, then that's, you know, those are first downs that you're getting on offense or that you're stopping on defense. You're stopping defense. You're stopping offenses on, on third down. So. Those are just ultimately what matter a lot more. So I think when we think about draft needs, it's not just about who are the guys that we need to replace just because of how bad they are, but also who's going to help us win games. Because, you know, maybe you have a bad punter, but upgrading at punter isn't going to be as important as upgrading at wide receiver or at quarterback. So I think going into the draft, yeah, we, we have, we'll have a number of holes to fill in, but I think the ones that are going to help the team win more games next year or in 2021 or even going forward, going to be at positions mostly at receiver at coverage at those sorts of things that actually help win games yeah i guess eric for you um just to kind of go and piggyback off that point uh should we even be drafting for needs so like your 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 colleague mike renner uh, put out a piece basically saying that teams should uh should sign free agents for for needs and then and then draft for for value just kind of take uh the value as it comes and that doesn't really align with, obviously, we're in mock draft season and really all you're ever going to see in the mock drafts is, is people filling in uh, needs of their team and, and really targeting those things. Um, how should we really be thinking about the offseason and how we go about things? Because there often is that prevailing thought that, you know, you shouldn't be looking to free agency to, like, quote unquote, build your team. So how should we be balancing those two different, you know, I guess, your know, streams of, of, of getting, you know, new talent onto the team? Yeah, <laughs> It's tough because my Timo Risk actually wrote an article about the learning curves at, at positions. And like, for example, in this draft, tackle is one of the best positions, but the learning curve is really steep. 
So if you if you draft for need at that position, you're probably not going to fill that need that year anyway because the player isn't like Laramie Tunsil wasn't anywhere near as good of a player as he is now. And the Dolphins spent like the 13th pick on him. And, you know, Bryant McKinney was the same thing for Minnesota, so on and so forth. And I sort of go back in Minnesota Vikings history and think to myself, okay, who are the best draft picks in the history of the franchise? Well, at least in our lifetime, the best draft pick in the history of the franchise was Randy Moss. And Randy Moss was the third wide receiver starting out behind Jake Reed and Chris Carter. And all he did is come in, not a whole lot of expectations, and took the league by storm. Uh, another player, now, this is back in the day, so I, you know, but Adrian Peterson was drafted when Chester Taylor was the starting running back and coming off of a 1,300-yard season, right? He comes in, the expectations aren't nearly as high as somebody who's a franchise-altering player, uh, and he, you know, balls out. Robert Smith was the same thing. Robert Smith was drafted in 93, a year after Terry Allen set the rushing record for the Vikings. So, you know, there there are all kinds of situations like this. Dante Culpepper was drafted when Randall Cunningham was coming off of an MVP season. And and so, like, you think about the be- some of the best draft picks the Vikings have ever had have been players that weren't needs. They were just the best player or a player that could come in and didn't have to be everything to everybody uh, to, to still have a huge impact. Uh, and that's kind of like where I see some of these, you know, or I think about Minnesota, it's like, well, they kind of do need a third wide receiver. I don't think the fan base really believes it that much as much as we do. Um, but but that player could come in. It doesn't have to be perfect. Uh, he doesn't have to be, uh, you know, an every down wide receiver. He can be a player that comes in uh, and runs a certain amount of routes uh, and, and be effective. Um, because if you draft a guy to be a number one corner, he may or may not suck. DeAndre Baker was the first cornerback drafted last year, and he was terrible for the Giants in his first year. Byron Murphy, I think, was the second cornerback draft, if not Rocky Asin, and he was similarly bad. So if I'm if I'm a Vikings fan, and what this all means, and, and we've talked about this privately at length, what this means for Minnesota is if you're a team with a lot of needs, you're probably not going to win next year based upon who you draft. Yikes. Yikes. That's a, that's a scary proposition, given, that, given what I mean, Nick's already laid out you know, and what we've talked about many times on this podcast about the importance of coverage. You know, Xavier's gone. Uh, Trey's probably going to be more expensive than we can afford. Uh, you know, Aunt Harris is gone. Uh, we don't know if Mac is coming back yet. Like it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a, a terrifying proposition. If the positions that matter are you know your coverage positions, and it looks like we're going to have a ton of turnover there, and then you know receivers, and we have two. Um, yeah. It's uh, it, it's not really a, a a a pleasant picture that we're painting as we look forward, looking uh, you know, at the team. Is it, Nick? I guess as you're thinking about this and and you look forward, I guess given the the, the situation that we're in from a money perspective, um, what makes this look better for us as we look ahead to the, the season that uh, that we we hope to have in 2020? Well, I I think the the big parts. The toughest parts that when you come in, uh, the Vikings have right now, I think. Maybe some people disagree. But the coach, the offensive coordinator, the Vikings have very good people there. I think Mike Zimmer is you know, a top three defensive mind, defensive play caller in the NFL. Uh, I think Gary Kubiak, given that we have a defensive head coach, Gary Kubiak is about as good of an offensive coordinator as you could hope for. He's kind of like the Wade Phillips of offensive coordinators in that he's just good enough to not get hired out by somebody else or 
honestly, Gary Kubiak is good enough to get hired by other teams. Obviously, he's been a head coach before, but he's in this weird situation with his health where you, you don't really see him getting poached necessarily. So you're kind of, you've got the coaches. That's the hardest part. And that's also probably the most important part um, because the coaches, unlike quarterbacks or unlike other offensive skill players, you don't, you know, lose them to free agency very often. Um, and I think Kirk, Kirk Cousins is a good enough quarterback. I think he's a top 10 quarterback. So the vast majority of teams out there are in a worse situation with their quarterback, at least from the perspective of what they're getting next year. Maybe they have somebody who's cheaper or maybe who, you know, has more upside. But I think in terms of the immediate future, Kirk, you could do a lot worse than Kirk Cousins. So they have kind of those important positions. They also have, you know, they've got Daniil Hunter. They got Stefan Diggs. They got, you know, some older guys like um, Adam Thielen will be 30 and uh, Harrison Smith, I think, with 31. So. Um, but those are those are uh, blue chip type players who are at some of the most important positions you can have. So all that helps out. That's all to say, you know, <laughs> I see a lot of people on my timeline being like, tank for Trevor. And it's like, guys, even if everything goes wrong, we're not going to be the worst team in the league. I'm, I hate to disappoint you. Um, so, th you know, there's reasons to think uh, with a couple lucky breaks, a return to the playoffs isn't far fetched and maybe even a playoff win or two. Um, so much comes down to luck and, and how your draft class pans out and how ever, if people have good years or bad years. So um, it'll, it'll be an interesting season. It'll also be, you know, it kind of feels like this could be a make or break year for, for Zimmer and Spielman. So we'll see how it all ends up together. But I think, you know, we've got the holes we have are at positions like guard, you know, and uh, well, cornerback matters a lot too, but we've got a lot of other good positions that are kind of in, in they could be so much worse than, you know, Stefan Diggs, Adam Thielen, Kirk Cousins, Gary Kubiak, Mike Zimmer. So that, that's the tough part. And then I think the whole front office too, Rick Spielman, Gary Payton, Rob Brzezinski, um, it, it, they've got a good back office as well. And they've got a good front office and they've got uh, good players at the key positions. So those are the reasons for some optimism going forward, even if this isn't necessarily our year to be expecting Super Bowl contention. I believe. And uh, Eric... Uh, as, as Nick was going through that and he was talking about coaching, I guess it did make me think a bit about the, uh, the, the piece that you put up on, on PFF about, you know, scheme and how it does translate from year to year from a defensive perspective. And it, it obviously makes me think about, you know, Mike Zimmer and what he's been able to do and, and how the Vikings in many ways have kind of defied probability and, and remaining a, a strong defense from year to year. I guess, um, could you help us? You know, understand a bit, and obviously I'll I'll put the uh, a link to the the piece in the show notes. I guess what was it that you were really breaking down in that article as you you kind of talk through scheme similarity from season to season, and uh, and what does it teach us about maybe what the Vikings should be looking to do in this off season, where in many ways it looks like uh, we maybe in for a bit of a, a rebuild on the defensive side. Yeah, of the ball. I mean, so one of the things that I try to do is is sort of look at. You know, because defense is hard to predict, right? I mean, be, and I talked about this last week with um, the article where, you know, should you have depth or stars? And, you know, the point being that, you know, um, if if offenses can exploit your weakest members of your defense, it doesn't really matter how much, the, how good the best players are because, you know, offenses really control everything. And then I looked at Kansas City, a team that, you know, uh, I've I've you know admired for a while and look at that and say well they were terrible a year ago how did they get okay on defense and it was partly because they shored up the bad positions right the players that were really hurting them but it was also scheme so I went in and I looked at okay how often does a team do a number of things and I'm not gonna you know I I can't list off all of them frankly but it was like you know how often do they have an even front how often do they have an odd front how often do they show middle of the field open and then play middle of the field closed all that kind of stuff. 
And then I put it through a, a dimensionality reduction, which is basically squishing the variables down to sub variables. So for example, if you run an odd front, uh, you're more likely to blitz. So blitz rate and odd front rate are not necessarily two variables. They're like one and a half variables. And so I did something like that. And then um, basically you can come up with these sub variables. And I just looked how much teams differed in those from year to year. And essentially the idea was that the more that you differed in scheme from one year to the next, the better that you got. And it was enhanced even by a, a new defensive coordinator. Um, so to your point about the Vikings not only defying the logic by just simply not regressing year to year defensively as much as other teams, they they've got they've defied it because they've had basically the same scheme the entire time, which is really cool and really interesting. Um, so does that change this year? Do they run more you know odd man type defenses with with uh, Dom Capers there? Uh, do they use Anthony Barr more as an edge player should Everson Griffin leave? Or if Everson Griffin gets, you know, one of the ways that they can curb the loss of Limbaugh Joseph is to have Everson Griffin play on the interior during passing downs. We saw that a little bit in the New Orleans game. You know, do they change their defense up a little bit? If they do, they might see some benefits from it because generally speaking, teams that are less predictable, teams that change their scheme from one year to the next do incrementally better defensively. Right. I mean, it seems that this is going to be an off season, like a season. It, like they have to do it different. Like, it, it seems impossible that we'd be able to do kind of like just a run of the mill kind of Vikings thing because we just we're not going to have the horses. Like when you look at the defense, it looks like we're going to have to do a lot of things just a lot differently from just really in everything. Like we have to generate pressure. We're going to have to hide people on the back end. I'm I'm really interesting to really interested to see how Zimmer is able to to work around. Yeah, the lack of talent. I guess it's something we've wanted to see for a while because, you know, we have really been spending a lot of resources through the Zimmer tenure uh, loading up on the defense. So it'll be interesting to see how we go about things and what it looks like this off season. Uh, that was that was really, I think that was it. That was most of uh, what we wanted to get through on, on this episode. Last question, Nick, I'll, I'll shoot it to you first. Uh, are the Vikings going to be rebuilding uh, in 2020? I think they should be, but my biggest fear <laughs> is that they won't be because Mike Zimmer and uh, Rick Spielman will be in effectively their last year. They might get extended. They might get a contract extension beyond 2020. But I think, you know, the Wilfs might come down and see this as a make or break year, which are going to force Zimmer and Spielman uh, to sort of put all their chips in the middle, even if this isn't really the year to do it. I think the best thing they could do is to sort of rebuild on the fly and, and not, not necessarily like tank or blow everything up, but just sort of realize that 2020 isn't a year where you want to push in all your assets into competing this year. And maybe it's a good idea to, you know, maybe trade your one of your draft picks for bigger return in 2021. Or maybe it's a good idea to let some free agents walk and not necessarily have a great answer for it in 2020, but hope that you can um, save some cap space for down the road and roll it over and put it into someplace better, or maybe it's a good idea to trade away Harrison Smith or Adam Thielen or one of your aging assets who isn't going to get you much more value in the in the short term, but could get you a first round pick that will, uh, you know, be able to provide a lot of value in 2022 or something. So I think I worry about that misalignment of incentives between the ownership and the head coach and the general manager and and what the best plan is for the Vikings for the long term. So 
I do worry about that, but I guess we'll see how it goes. And I guess just a follow up based on your answer there. Um, so do you not do you not see any conflict? And I guess your 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 stance that you know the Vikings should kind of you know invest in Kirk Cousins over I guess long term, medium term, whatever that might be, and the Vikings potentially being a team that should be rebuilding in in twenty twenty. Well, I I see Kirk Cousins as a, as a top ten quarterback, and I think when you have a quarterback that good, you should just build around them, even though they might not be an MVP caliber player every year. Uh, I think you could do better than Kirk Cousins, um, but I also think you could do a lot worse. And I think just because he has some weaknesses like his pocket presence, his situational awareness, uh, that I don't think that's a reason to just sort of completely tear the whole thing down. In the same way that I think. You know, Mike Zimmer, um, you kind of ideally would want somebody like Andy Reid to be your offensive genius guru, but having a defensive genius guru, like maybe he's not the best coach in the league, but maybe he's a top 10, maybe even arguably a top five coach in the league. And and that's probably good enough. And I wouldn't want to fire Mike Zimmer just because he's not Andy Reid. So um, I think at a certain point, you have to accept the fact that, look, you're just not going to have the best person in the entire league at every single position. And you don't really need to have the best at every single position to win a Super Bowl because so much of it just comes down to like luck and um, having everything come together in the same year. So um, I, I, I think you can rebuild around Kirk Cousins and build him an offensive line in the long term. I don't think you're going to be able to do it in 2020, but we'll see how it all goes because I kind of get the impression that uh, the Wilfs see Zimmer, Cousins, Spielman all as a package. So we could be looking at a very different Vikings team in 2021 if things don't things go sour a little bit next year. Yikes. And uh, Eric, same question for you. Uh, are, are the Vikings already rebuilding, even though we might not be thinking about it that way? It's interesting. I, I'm with I'm with Nick. I, I think that they're um, a team that should be rebuilding that probably won't. Um, but I... And I agree with him as well that Kirk Cousins, I maybe not, I wouldn't say maybe top ten consistently, but I would yeah. say because I think this year, um, you know, let's say Brady goes to a team that accentuates his strengths. Tannehill remains with a team that accentuates his strengths. Jameis, you know, like the but Kirk is a player who, on average, is a top ten quarterback, depending upon where you know those those things yeah. align. And that's tricky, right? Because in 2018, he was. In 2017, he was. And he was certainly so in 15 and 16. The So, okay. So, if that happens, I think you have to have the same approach as Kansas City did with, with Alex Smith, which is to say, look, this guy – because as a Kansas City Chiefs fan, I have a ton of respect for Alex Smith. He took that team from 2 and 14 to – you know, basically he won two thirds of his starts. And yet at the same time, like you go, you know, in the playoffs, he simply was not good enough. You could tell he was not good enough to win a playoff game against Ben Roethlisberger, against Tom Brady, against any of those, you know, Andrew Luck. So the problem I have with Cousins being the Vikings quarterback is that it seems like they tr- they, they they treat him as though he's Alex Smith but believe in him as though he's Patrick Mahomes. And that to me I don't think is congruent. I think you have to you have to have I think Nick's approach which is to be I think quite good at a you know honest about it which is to say he's a good quarterback that's that's not good enough to beat Mahomes straight up if everything else is equal. Uh he's not good enough to beat Wilson if everything else is equal, but if there's some luck on his side he can win just like we've seen 
you know, Garoppolo is six minutes away from winning a Super Bowl, uh, Foles, uh, you know, the, so on and so forth. Um, but I don't know if the Vikings are are prepared to do what Andy Reid and the Chiefs did, which is to say, when we find a quarterback we really like, we're going to do the uncomfortable thing and surrender draft picks and make it awkward for the incumbent by drafting him. So I think, you know, if that if, if they want to continue to try to win now, I think that that's probably I think that that's, you know, acceptable. But they always have to have that look to the future. And I think paying cousins increment paying cousins any more than they do now. Smith had a pretty hefty contract for the Chiefs, but it wasn't as big as as cousins is now. I, if they're going to pay cousins, keep the deal short and keep them such that you're never you never are not going to do what Kansas City did when you feel the time is right. I guess, um, I mean, we've talked about it, but we're not really seeing uh, that sort of player or really that sort of opportunity for the Vikings this year. Uh, who should the Vikings be looking at if things go beyond, say, the first round and they want to maybe catch some value from a quarterback who's falling? They might be able to pick up on, you know, day two or later in the draft. Yeah, I mean, the hard part about Tagovailoa is that I do think that he's worthy of a first round draft pick. In my mock draft, he went second. Um, I don't think anybody besides him is worth a first round pick in the draft besides Joe Burrow. Um, so if Tua falls beyond five, I can't see it happening. There may be a situation where the Vikings, you know, the Chiefs went from 27 to 10 and it cost them a first round pick, a third round pick and another first round pick. So that's basically what you're looking at in terms of in terms of numbers. Um, but I, I think you got to sort of wait till next year, wait till the next Burrow comes out, uh, you know, wait till the next, uh, you know, maybe Maybe there's a situation where Trevor Lawrence progresses a little bit and he's not considered the first pick, or maybe you're closer to the first pick and a trade-up wouldn't be so uh, onerous. Uh, but yeah, I mean, as far as lower tier guys, I have, you know, uh, Anthony Gordon's been a, a guy that I've, you know, ha- have looked at, you know, statistically and he looks pretty good. Tyler Hundley uh, out of Utah isn't getting a whole lot of love, but I do think he's a very good prospect for a player to be taken in like the third or fourth round. Um, Jalen Hurts from Oklahoma, again, very limited uh, as far as if you're thinking about him as a first round guy, but I think in a day two or day three pick, he has some promise. And then Josh Love, not Jordan Love, but Josh Love uh, out of uh, San Jose State is a guy who continues to pop up uh, in, in my projections. So all those guys are, you know, they're, they could all be the next Kirk Cousins, which again, Kirk, every time we talk about, you know, you know, quarterback draft prospects, we have to remind ourselves that Kirk Cousins is, is a success. Uh, you know, as far as, uh, you know, uh, he is a starting caliber quarterback in the NFL and will be for the next 10 years, probably. Uh, he just might not be the Mahomes that we all want. Um, but, uh, you know, so some of those guys that I just mentioned, I think, have a, a decent probability, you know, not above 50 percent, but a better than one in four chance of being a Kirk, for example. All right. There we go. And, and we get to end it off with, you know, Eric reminding everyone that Kirk is a success. So, like, at the end, you know, we kind of agreed on things. Uh, Nick, Eric, Nick, start with you. Anything we should be looking at now that you're at home? Maybe get some wholesome videos, the kids breaking down football, anything like that? No, Eric's doing the work for both of us right now, I think, doing everything he's been producing. So check out his articles on the offensive line and um, the defensive. You know, it was interesting examination about, um, you know, kind of the weak link thesis of, you know, how much does, uh, do you want like studs or do you want to have no, no bad guys, no weak chains on the link? And so I think in both cases, it was interesting to see 
where those came out. So maybe, maybe nothing for me in the immediate future. Maybe, maybe the Vikings read Eric's articles, and that's why we just don't have any defensive tackles. We're just going to try to trick every team into <laughs> running on us just nonstop every every time next year. I I was told by somebody who works for a team that he was presenting that article to the GM this week. I was pretty like it Sweet. was. I was pretty giddy about it, but um, yeah, it. I don't know. The like I said, I was was it you guys' show or was a match show where I said you know the Vikings do a pretty good job of analytics. Uh, it just it I, it comes down to what you guys I think hit it on the head just now is there's a list a little bit of misalignment and incentives and so the wisdom of the crowd sort of goes out the window when not everybody is you know sort of working towards the same thing sometimes. Right, and uh, I guess Eric, you have been on a bit of a roll. Obviously, we know we can find you on the forecast. You're knocking pieces out. Uh, really all off season here. Uh, anything that we should be looking for as uh, we wrap this week or as we get into next week? George and I had the analytics mock draft and he deemed it the mock your GM didn't, didn't uh, told you not to worry about. Um, <laughs> but that is that that's up on YouTube. Actually, he and I went through all the picks. It actually is the rare YouTube video that has more dislikes Ooh. than likes, uh, more thumbs down <laughs> than thumbs up. So that's, that's exactly what you want to see. Uh, I did write an article today, Friday, about uh, defensive scheme the previous day about offensive line. And the day previous to that, I believe it was best defensive play callers. Uh, I think that there's a the I think Todd Bowles is not getting enough credit for for what he did this past season, uh, which is great because I think people mm. thought he was a huge boob when he left the Jets. I think he's a far better defensive mind than people give him credit for. So I wrote about him earlier. Uh, yeah, next week we're going to talk about free agency, presuming that it, it happens. Um, and, you know, much like everybody else, we're all work from home now. So we're doing all of our videos uh, sort of weirdly, uh, you know, through you know through some online medium at this point. So uh, we're laboring with everybody in terms of, you know, handling this uh, this pandemic. And hopefully, you know, amongst the, the real world things that we're all encountering, we, uh, football can be still a diversion. Uh, even if the XFL is gone. Oh, RIP XFL. Well, gentlemen, as always, uh, thank you for making time. Listeners, thanks for sticking with us. And uh, yeah, we will talk to you soon. Have a good one.